And welcome into another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, he's a beat writer for The Athletic. He prefers Coke over Pepsi, but only if Dr. Pepper isn't an option. He is Cody Stavenhagen. Cody, how you doing? Pepsi products are the worst, man. Comerica Park <laughs> Press Box, Pepsi products. A lot of Major League Press Boxes, just Pepsi, so... You know, really tried to cut down on the sugar the last couple years. Don't drink as much Dr. Pepper anymore. Probably a good thing it's not available to me in the press box. I would be uh, tempted to indulge. To quote the great Dave Chappelle, I've done commercials for Coke and Pepsi. All I know is Pepsi paid me most recent, so it tastes better. So, <laughs> Well, if Pepsi was paying me money, I might have different yeah. feelings. Unfortunately, uh, I've never received a check from either company. Yes, absolutely. And if they wanted to sponsor this podcast and we got approval from the higher-ups, I'd be drinking I'm Pepsi. Sure, I'm sure we're right on Pepsi's radar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's really what they're going for. All right. Well, uh, obviously, we're uh, deep into the postseason for baseball. No lack of drama. Um when we also have a mantra on this podcast, Cody, no days off. And days off. that extends to you, not only in your capacity as a beat writer for the Tigers, but also just generally speaking, helping out your company with playoff coverage. You've been doing some uh, some live blogging. Um, I'm sure you would have watched the baseball playoffs anyway, but... Having to kind of do it maybe a little bit more fine-tuned, uh, attention-wise. Uh, anything kind of stick out to these teams who are, you know, who were in the Final Four for uh, for, the, for the baseball crown? Yeah, it has been fun contributing to this live blog coverage. Because, yeah, I'd probably be watching the games anyway, but it kind of gets me watching more. More like I would, you know, as a writer where I'm honed in on every single pitch and I'm looking stuff up and researching um, I, I don't know. Like, I think the heightened magnitude of every decision in the postseason is really the thing that stands out. You know, we're sitting here, we're, we're recording this and people are, oh, Alex Cora, you know, made one pitching mistake. Does he no longer have his playoff magic? And it's like, it's kind of funny that we're even saying There's that, but every decision matters so much. That. Yes, yes, there is. Um, I did not write it. That was, that was Ken Rosenthal. It's a good column, but it shows you just how much every decision matters. So my other thought is, man, I kind of hope I'm covering baseball in October next year because, uh, look, I know the writers who go to the playoffs every year are sick of it because they're <laughs> done, they're ready to go home. Uh, but the first time you do, it must be nice. I, I'm excited to hopefully one of these days cover some big-time baseball where there is that sort of atmosphere and that sort of intensity riding on every single pitch, every single decision, and we're sitting here going – you know, Framber Valdez has only thrown his sinker. When's he going to break out the curveball? And we're, you know, hanging on the edge of our seats trying to see if Chris Sale can, you know, continue kind of this great comeback start. And then, you know, things I was, I was not working the night uh, Altuve Homer to start the Astros ALCS comeback. And I was watching that game with my friend and, you know, I was, I was in a sports bar and kind of everyone jumps up, you know, when that ball leaves Altuve's bat. And it, it's just fun to see. It's fun to see uh, people locked in on baseball and, and obviously the most, you know, the most exciting it gets in the sport. And I actually think we've had a pretty good postseason. Like, it hasn't been epic yet, oh, yeah. but I think it's been pretty good from the the ground rules at Fenway, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, costing the Rays a chance to – yeah, you know, I wouldn't say win the series. That'd be too strong, but it more or less shut the door on uh, on being able to do it naturally. And um, we've we've seen a variety of pitching. How do I phrase this? Methods of uh, organizationally. Um, and the Alex Cora thing, I thought was great uh, that you just brought up. And the column was good. Basically, Alex Cora had hit every right button up until the past, you know, the, the, those two games. And, you know, bringing in Evaldi and sticking with Sale, like, you know, bringing in Perez there in, in game four. That's not to say these are bad decisions. I think that's something that fans sometimes lose sight of. Doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean they're bad decisions, but they didn't work out. Baseball can be pretty cruel sometimes. Exactly, yeah. Um, I'm, and I actually really loved uh, your colleague, bringing up the uh the Matt Harvey 
2015 yeah, World Series absolutely. things. I remember watching that, thinking, you know, watching Harvey, you know, like, I don't know, I would have stuck him, stuck with him. That's your mm-hmm. dude. I'm a big believer in letting your horses decide outcomes, you know, and and that's what that's what Cora did. Um, but like I said, pitching's been a focal point uh, throughout this postseason, and we've had a variety of organizational directives and how they view pitching. The Astros basically got nothing for five games, four games from their starting pitching uh, in, in the ALCS, and you would think that that would be, you know, a death blow, and it barely nearly was. Uh, the Dodgers, obviously, very expensive pitching staff, uh, got more expensive and more veteran-laden when they acquired Max Scherzer. So it kind of got me thinking, and then... Of course, you publish a story right as I'm kind of conceiving the thought about the Tigers pitching situation. There's a lot of ways to go about building. I want to say it's not building a staff because it goes deeper than that, but just building uh, a pitching arsenal. And we know how, how the Rays do it. And sometimes we're a little bit too result oriented because it is a result oriented business so i get it but i think sometimes we're too result oriented where the rays get bounced and it's like see that doesn't work well no not really sometimes the other team just plays better or hits better or pitches better yeah the rays are the best record in the american league it works just fine yeah exactly exactly and and then you can see drawbacks to you know maybe the the dodgers kind of ran out of steam there you know for a bit so like there, there's so many ways to go about it, and then you look at how the Tigers kind of went about this rebuild, and it's been starting pitching heavy, and that's caused some concern. We've talked about on this podcast of whether you should do that or whether you should do, you know, bat-laden rebuilds. Um, as of now, I'm still pretty comfortable with the method of which the Tigers went about this rebuild, even though we still haven't seen it to its fruition, because again, you got to keep in mind, I think context at the time. And that's sort of what I wanted to dive into. So I guess before we go back, is there two or three sentences that you would kind of put together that just say the state of the Tigers rebuild specific to the notion of, focusing on starting pitching is you know where where would you kind of classify where where the tigers are in regards to the leading candidacy for bringing them out of you know being perennial losers which is the starting pitching what's the state of their starting pitching right now Uh, in regards to guys who will be there going forward i would uh say things are mostly in italics, going according to plan, ellipses so far. <laughs> Things are mostly going according to plan so far because you have Mize, Manning, Scooble in the big leagues. Mize and Scooble um, have already had a pretty solid season, showing the makings of very good big, big league pitchers who should only get better. Matt Manning, he's got more. Um, you know, he's kind of a year behind. He's got a lot to improve, but the stuff is there on the right nights. So those guys are in the big leagues. That was really kind of the whole goal. Now, we forget just a couple of years ago, Alex Fiedo was grouped in. Actually, no one knew about Tarek Skubal, and it was supposed to be Mize Manning Fiedo. So Fiedo's had Tommy John surgery. That doesn't necessarily mean we have to write guys off for good these days. So I'll be really interested to see, you know, what kind of pitcher he is next year uh joey wentz a guy they acquired in the shane green trade has had tommy john surgery so some of that depth has already um been tested or kind of the idea when you build around pitching you need a lot of it because a couple guys are going to get hurt and probably one at least one guy just isn't going to quite reach his potential that's the thought and the tigers knew this going in so far it looks like mize is is right where he should be they found a surprise in scooble and Manning, um, if he's not right where he should be, he's he's pretty close or could easily get there. So I think that is that all bodes well. But the thing that scares me about uh, building around pitching is it's just so much more uh, fragile and fickle. I think you're one Casey Mize torn UCL away from viewing the whole thing differently. 
say Mize needs Tommy John, which could happen. Say guess what? Pitchers get hurt all the time. And say Matt Manning just never really gains the feel for his secondary pitches, and he he's kind of a fourth starter for you know a few years, and he's just not a dude. Well, then suddenly, then suddenly you didn't construct this dominant pitching staff like maybe you thought you were going to. Um, and I just think that's the thing that scares me. Everyone knows pitching is harder to project. I think that's why at the outset of this rebuild, or probably especially. Uh, around 2018, when the Tigers were looking at that draft class and picking Casey Mize to go along with Fiedo and Matt Manning in the system, um, it, the Tigers viewed starting pitching as the most valuable commodity in the game. And I think that's true depending on how you look at it. I think that's already changed in the last few years as we see teams use their starters less. Starter uh, usage has been in decline pretty consistently for a century, if you think about it. Uh, but now more than ever, the starter is not really in vogue. Not only do you have a five-man rotation, you have openers, you have innings limits, you have guys not going beyond five innings that much. Now, the rarest commodity in baseball might still be a bona fide ace. And if you have one or two of those, uh, that is a, a massive asset that a lot of teams try to acquire and can't quite do. So that's where you can kind of make your case for pitching. Uh, but I think we'll get into comparing other teams. I just look at, I think the the key um, comparison, you know, is probably the Astros and the Cubs. We've seen the Cubs have already tried to tear things down or had to tear things down. The Astros are still still rolling along with the core built around hitters. Now, if you look at Houston's draft history, they drafted Brady Aiken and Mark Appel in 14 and uh, in 2013 and Forrest Whitley in 2016. They've spent three of their first round picks in this time period on starting pitchers, and those picks have not worked out. They hit on Bregman, Kyle Tucker, Carlos Correa, George Springer. They didn't hit on their pitchers, um, and, and they were lucky that they, they still had those position players who rose through the system and got the Astros to be a perennial power like they are now. So, I can only speak to our generation, but our generation kind of came up in baseball, whereas you have to have, like, starting pitching was everything. You had your starters, mm -hmm. and then you had your closer, and then you kind of just had guys in between. And obviously, the game has kind of transitioned, but starting pitching has always been something that you just talked so much about you wrote in your story it's like every year at the trade deadline every year in free agency so even if it's kind of been altered i still don't necessarily think it's diminished because okay so you bring up the astros what were the two big moves that the astros made to put them i don't want to say over the top but make everybody really fear them it was trading for justin verlander and they had to give up top prospects and it was trading for Garrett Cole, and they had to give up top prospects. So, and Zach Grinky, and and Zach Grinky, yes, absolutely. Don't want to forget about him. So, either way, so the Tigers, and we'll go a little bit deeper into those drafts a little bit. But the Tigers spent high round draft picks on starting pitchers. Still are obviously this year with Jackson Job, high round draft picks on pitchers, and. We've seen other teams, and the Cubs did it with John Lester as well, you know, go like the trade or free agency route. Obviously, the Yankees are always doing the free agency route and, and you know, this, that, the other thing. So either way, starting pitching, even though we can say it's been, I don't know, less emphasized, I guess. I don't want to say diminished. Maybe like less emphasized, maybe reorganized in terms of the flow of building a team for certain uh, squads. You're still paying premiums either at the front end or the back end, for a lot of these teams that we've seen have mm -hmm. sustained level successes. So I think when people sort of like poo-poo, like the notion of like taking talented pitchers at the top of the draft, I, I, I just think the scope needs to be expanded a little bit because either way, if you want to get to where you're at, the capital is going to be spent on starting pitching. Unless, of course, you're the race, and but but even then, like how how we can't really dictate what outliers do. They have their own system, and it's it's awesome, it's great. But 
But either way, starting pitching is it's going to be a premium. You're either going to pay a guy thirty million dollars a year, or you're going to spend a you know top ten, fifteen, whatever pick on a guy. It's kind of what it seems like to me. Remember in August where we talked for way too long about that Jonathan Scope play where he charged the bunt and threw home, mm-hmm. and then the the play the day before that uh, when he when he tried to cut down a runner home and. Was that the right play or the wrong play? And I loved it because it was this baseball discussion. And I don't really think there is a correct or incorrect answer. Like either answer has its its justifications and you can debate it for hours. I think this is the macro version of that. I could talk about this all day. Um, I've read the book, the book Cubs Way by Tom Verducci, which chronicles the Cubs rebuild, and Astro Ball by Ben Ritter, which covers the, the Astros rebuild. And both books, I think Cubs Way in particular, goes inside the front office's thinking. The Cubs front office at the outset basically thought it was easier to scout and target and develop hitters. Pitching was too volatile. The best way to acquire pitchers would be to spend your money on guys after they are already proven. So that's what the Cubs mostly did. And they, you know, they brought in John Lester and uh, Jake Arietta developed into a star for him. That was, that was something that they didn't have to spend a ton of money on, at least initially. Um, and it worked. Now, granted, the Cubs, it didn't have longevity. They also ended up handing out some long contracts, you Darvish, some contracts that didn't work, and now they've had to dismantle the whole thing. Um, I don't think the Astros had as targeted of a philosophy because, again, they drafted three first-round pitchers in kind of that time frame, yeah. none of which and Apple worked was number out. one, right? Or was he... Yeah, 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 he was. Um, so, anyway, like... I, I tend to still like building around hitting because I kind of agree with the Theo Epstein idea that it's just safer. Pitching is so hard. It's so volatile. And you're right. You are going to have to spend that capital. I think it's easier to spend that capital on guys you know are going to be legit for you. Um, so that, I mean, that's kind of how I view it. But, and then you look at the Rays. Yeah, they lost in the playoffs, but this team had the best record in the AL Basically, without like an ace or any dominant, you know, starting pitcher, by the end of the season, they were using a collection of rookies and mixing and matching with the bullpen and playing the matchups. Um, so this is all still relevant for the Tigers right now. At Alavila's in the season press conference, I asked, um, you know, do, do you view adding an established starter as, you know, like how big of a priority is that for you? And he said, uh, yeah, I view that as a necessity. And I followed up with, I, I, I just put the microphone in my face and I said, why? <laughs> and that wasn't because I was like trying to grill Al or because I disagree. It was like, I was just trying to get him to expand so I could write it in a story. That's literally, he gave a one sentence answer. So I was like, come on, dude, you know how this works. Like elaborate a little bit Thanks, for bro. us. <laughs> uh, and, and he did. And he mentioned the race. He was like, I know. And I think he thought I was like questioning him, which I wasn't intending to do, but he was like, some of you might not think it's of starting pitching is the most important and you look at the Rays and they're kind of approving it, but to have a front end starter is still a big bonus. Um, which I agree. You see it for the Tigers in this draft where they take Jackson Job over Marcelo Meyer. Is that the right pick? Is that the wrong pick? We'll know maybe in five or six years time. Um, so I don't know that there's like a correct way. And I also think we're seeing it in these playoffs right now where starters are devalued even the Braves and Brian Snickers a little more of an old school manager have started to trend toward the opener route a little bit and you have the Dodgers who are as analytically savvy as it gets who still lean pretty hard on dominant starting pitching so I, I think the Dodgers really are a great example of doing it both ways they've developed position players they've developed starters they've signed position players they've signed starters isn't that a novel concept just like get good players all across the board maybe that's the best way to do it good good players um have good coaching uh on yes, another absolutely. novel concept so one of one of the great things about this discussion is if you're if you're going to try to track which side i fall on you're going to get confused because I'm more or less going to play both sides because I think both have merit because one of the reasons when we were talking about the draft, one of the reasons that like, you know, Marcelo Meyer uh, 
intrigued me is because I just think there there's a million pitchers out there that you can sign to you know reasonable deals and get good value out of them especially if you really trust your coach pitching staff mm-hmm. and obviously Chris Fetter is as highly regarded an assistant coach in recent Tigers history honestly uh, so plays to that but at the same time Chris Fetter is like the most like star studded baseball assistant that I can remember I guess Leo Mazzoni with the with the Braves was a pretty big deal, but that was more just because he rocked back and forth in the dugout. In addition to being well, good well let me t- let me ask. I haven't seen any. I mean, there there's an opinion. There's a pushback on Twitter for basically everything. I have yet to see one iota of criticism or pushback on Chris Fetter. Not one. Not yet, but it'll probably happen. I'm, I, 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 just wait until the Tigers are actually good, yeah. and then all of a sudden, oh, Hinch is an idiot. Oh, Chris Fetter has no idea what he's doing. It just takes people to get engaged and interested mm-hmm. at this playoff level where each decision is so big, and then we'll start. Then we'll, then the critics will come out, which is kind of funny. They're more likely to come out when the team is really good than they are right now. Right now, it's like, oh, things are positive. These guys are these guys are amazing. Which probably tells you that they probably aren't as knowledgeable as the people that we more or less interact with on a regular basis. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah so, this is true. but I was also going to say in, in regards to like, you know, going sort of the back end route of high end starters and free agency known commodities, which is valuable. It's very valuable. But at that point, the Jake Arietta thing's a good like ex- exemption from this. But at that point, you're more or less paying for a depreciating asset. Mm-hmm. And, you can maintain a level of success during the depreciating process, but eventually, more or less, you're going to want to get the hell out of Dodge with that contract or the bottom's going to come out. I mean, I don't have to say the name Jordan Zimmerman. Yeah, that's a prime example. But And I don't want to drag the guy unnecessarily, but that's sort of... You know, that's a great example of what could happen the other direction. And even like, you know, Max Scherzer's been great, but at a certain point, the Nationals said, well, we doesn't make sense for us to, you know, be just ho- hanging on for the sake of hanging on, mm-hmm. you know? Like, this happens. So, like I said, I could talk myself back and forth on it. I do like the idea, especially for, you know, where the state where the Tigers were in, and are in to a certain extent, but you can't dismiss the improvements that have been made organizationally and on the field. I do like the idea of of bringing in guys young and molding them and getting, for lack of a better term, like cheap labor. And then and then you get your Tarek Scoobles where that's just bonus. Like, no one was anticipating his rise. And if they if they are... They either, or if they claim they did, they're either oh, they lie. they're either liars or they saw that like they watched more film on him than any other prospect they ever recommended, and it was just like like I I won't. The guy was walking like six batters per nine innings his his last year of college. No one saw it coming. Man. I, they, they, there might be someone one... out there was like, oh, some talent in his arm. No one saw him becoming this. Yeah. Well, and. Another aspect of the rebuild, and this all kind of plays into it. Actually, no. Put a pin in that. I, 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 I sort of, I was looking back. We'll come back to that point I was just going to make. I was looking back at the Tigers' first-round picks. And I know that's only like a narrow scope of team building, but, you know, you could get just get lost if you're going to try to look at like all the top whatever five, six, seven rounds. And if you go deeper than that, then more power to you. I just I, I just wanted to kind of narrow the focus for the sake of, uh, of this. Well, and in theory, the first round pick is one you should get right. And granted, it's baseball. It's still really hard. First round picks, Boston is sport. But in the simple act aspect of team building, first round pick should it should be kind of a shoe in or like a like a given, okay, did this guy hit or not? And that's a that's a decent analysis. 
Yes, and I would say definitely higher emphasis when it's a top fifteen pick. Yeah, once for sure. one, sometimes once we get into the twenties, you're you're sort of just kind of take taking a flyer is a bad term, but you're you're betting on upside um, more so than knowing what you're getting a lot of the times. Once once you get later, because okay, regardless, we could do draft theories on uh, for a million uh, million minutes so yeah i'm forgetting all the statistics i looked up during draft time about like the percentages of you know picks one to ten versus 20 to 30 making yeah. the big leagues i already forgot the numbers but, but I, it's a pretty sizable difference yeah, but l- l- let's just put it like this no one is looking at the ty madden pick as there's your future number two this is true yeah and, and, like he, and he hope he's something close to that yeah and if he's not all right so everyone's got to know like the perspective on that so that that's why that's why i bring it up so in to, in 2016 like i'm not going to include the joe burrows pick in 2015 as like building around pitching for that basically what i just said he was the 22nd overall pick now obviously you expect him to get to be better than he ended up being but like that's not building your roster around Bo Burrow. Sure. Uh, so we're going to skip to 2016, ninth overall pick. Tigers take Matt Manning. Even then, I still don't really consider that the pivot point because he was, as we all know, we all know the Matt Manning story. He was a high school kid, never really dedicated full time to pitching. You're, you're, you're banking on upside. At that time, I don't think the doors getting blown open on a rebuild was was that was at the forefront. No, they were still trying to win. Yeah, they were still trying to win. So so yeah, so it was just kind of a high upside pick, kind of similar. It was a little bit similar to the Porcello pick, although he fell um, yeah. all those years later just because of contract demands. But and he was a more established player. He would have been much higher picked had it not been for. Yeah. Our buddy, friend of the podcast, even though he's never liked or commented or come on or anything, I'm just gonna call him friend of the podcast, Scott Boris. I'm just gonna refer to him that because he's so <laughs> he's so powerful. I just want I just want him to know, friend of the podcast. So uh, I wouldn't consider that the pivot. Even Fiedo, the next year, again, same thing. You're in the he was the 18th overall pick, so you're really back end of like where we're considering bona fide blue chippers, right? I really do think Casey Mize in 18 was when it was like cards on the table. We're going the starting pitching route. Number one overall pick, universally considered. He was. So, again, it wasn't like, oh, we want a pitcher more than position player. Probably any team would have taken Mize uh, for as attractive as maybe a Jared Kelnick could have been. So I do, I do, like I have heard that at the start of the rebuild, whenever you want to declare the rebuild started, I usually think, you know, after the Verlander trade, I was like, okay, there's no definitely, going back. Definitely. The Tigers did view, they wanted to acquire a lot of starting pitching. I think it also worked out to where, okay, you had already used a couple first round picks on pitchers. Now you got the number one pick, the consensus number one guy is a pitcher. Um... And by that point, if you have three pitchers, you might as well you might as well just keep going and adding more, you know. Well, I was actually going to say so. One of the things that I think is important contextually is you can have, as an organization, you can have your methods, you can have your ethos, and you can have you know the way you want to build a team. But there's also a lot of stuff outside of your control. So you get the number one overall pick. Well, we don't want to build around pitching. Okay, well, that means you have to pass on Casey Mize. You have to pass on a guy who's universally considered the best player in the draft. Do you have the stones to do that? To take Joey Bart, who I believe, now it's still very early, so I'm not making a you know, proclamation here. I believe he's worth negative war. Uh and a lot of the a lot of these guys are too. So they're still very young. That they yeah. you know we're not passing judgments here. Um, but you, you brought up clinic. He didn't go to the six. You know, like it's it, yeah. it, 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 it didn't go to the six. And and we and we know how uneven when he finally got to it. How uneven it was for him uh, once he got to the bigs because it's hard. 
it's hard either way, you know, position player or pitcher. So I think to a certain extent, the Tigers kind of, without any inside knowledge, I, I could reasonably get myself to believe that they sort of looked at the landscape of players available, knowing they were going to have top-level picks, and sort of being like, this is the road that we have to travel down, so we're gonna so we're gonna go this way, and they kind of let mm-hmm. you know in sports they say let the game come to you. You know, I think there's an argument to be made. They perhaps let the game come to them because if they didn't take Casey Mize, they would have been killed. Number one, and number two, if he had anything remotely close to this year for the Giants, mm-hmm. y- you think Al gets criticized now? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's the truth you know and, and, and so so I, I i do kind of consider that the pivot point and and i want to get this analogy in before i forget to bring it back so i remember as i said uh last week on the pod uh my national league team um growing up that i was rooted for was the chicago cubs we all know how 2003 went mark Pryor was at the top of major league baseball um, I don't know this off the top of my head, so please forgive me if I'm off a little bit, but I do remember articles in like the sporting news. Yes, that's how old I am. I had a sporting news subscription as wow. a kid. Uh, I do remember, I, did too. I, I do remember articles in the sporting news about like the theory of building your team around like pitching or positional. Mm. And the two main examples were at the time prior or Joe Maurer. Now, I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head if they were in the same draft. But those were the two young, and we obviously Meyer, uh, Maurer excuse me, was number one overall. But those were the two sort of examples that were given. And, of course, having my uh, Cubs colored glasses on. They, it, they, they were the same draft. One and three? Maurer one and th- prior to. Oh, one and one two. One and two. Okay, okay. So, Mark Teixeira was five. Yeah. Okay, who was, who was three and four? Dewan Brazelton from for the Rays and Gavin Floyd. I remember Gavin Floyd yeah. from the Phillies. Okay, so so yeah, so that was the example one or two, uh, you know, pitcher or positional player, and obviously at the time I was very much saying like, oh yeah, you gotta go with pitching because blah blah blah. But then even at the as you've seen on this podcast, me talking to myself and the other avenues, I was like, well, can you really build around a guy who only plays every five days? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my mindset's kind of been the same my entire life, I guess. Some, sometimes you realize the older you get, the more you're the same person. But anyway. Our, our podcast would be more popular if both of us would just like have ridiculously firm takes. I mean, that's that's what sells these days. Yeah, that's true. You know, we, we, we tend to like explain both sides and, and no one wants to hear that. But here we are. Here we are. Trying to educate the people. <laughs> So, um, so I was thinking, I was like, obviously Pryor flamed out in a big way and Maurer went on to have what will eventually be a plaque in Cooperstown, uh, career. However, cause we talked, what we, what did we just say about the Cubs of their world series? They got there, but then they had to dismantle real quickly. Mm-hmm. The prior led Cubs got to higher heights than in just that short window than any of Maurer's twins got to. So I have it right in front of me. So they had they reached the ALCS in 2002. Uh, and other than that, it's a lot of playoff droughts and a lot of sweeps in the ALDS. And the in that ALCS they lost in five games, and I'm pretty sure I'm just gonna double check. I'm pretty sure Maurer was not even on the team, and that is correct. He was not on the team. So Maurer never played in a championship series. Wow, as great as he was, and he was awesome. Never played in a championship series. You talk about explaining both sides, which one's better? But you have the Hall of Famer. But the peak was higher with the with the starting pitcher. Yeah, and the, uh, the 2003 Cubs were kind of – there used to be the old adage, well, good starting pitching wins in the playoffs. 
And this year's playoffs is kind of almost pushing back against that. Um, but the 2003 Cubs were a great example. As, as listeners of the pod know, I grew up a Braves fan. The Cubs beat the Braves in that year's NLDS because Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor just shut them down. And that, that year's Cubs won 88 games. The Braves were a better team. But Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood in a three-game series, okay, there's two losses for you. Um, the Braves ran into the same thing against the World Series Diamondbacks, still, where Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson just Carlos carried those teams. As well. Yeah, yeah, Zambrano. So I think it goes to show you that there's not one correct way because you'd like to think, I don't know, that look at the rotations the Tigers had and never won a World Series in the, in the uh, 2010s. Yeah, very true. And – and, and sometimes there's, again, as I say, like with the result-based business, like if you're building a team that you want to be a multi-year championship contender, all you're really wanting to do at the most basic level is build a team that has a chance. Just has a chance that, that can be there in the end. Because at a certain point, all of sports, but especially baseball, lends itself to some randomness and things that you can't necessarily quantify or anticipate. And you just want to, like, all teams that reached the championship series this year, they all had a chance to win the World Series. They all did. You know, that's the other thing. They're all really good baseball they're, teams. They're all really good baseball teams. They're built in a little bit different ways, all of them. And they're all really good teams. And you're not a failure if you didn't win the World Series, you know? Uh, or, like, your structure wasn't a failure, I guess. Yeah. You know, the way you went, a, the way you went about yeah. it wasn't a failure. I, that's that's the case for the Rays and kind of the idea that stems back to the, the Moneyball A's. Like these philosophies that are built to get you in the playoffs aren't necessarily designed to win the World Series because baseball is this sport that we measure in these big samples. And then in the playoffs, suddenly we're measuring on a small scale and it's it's different. So how do you, especially if you're a smaller market team, how do you balance that? I don't know what the Rays do. I think it clearly works and it's gotten them into the World Series. So I don't think by any means Tampa's philosophy is wrong. But at the same time, just like the the A's of the early 2000s, we're in the playoffs, we're going toe-to-toe with the Yankees, but could never get over that hump. Um, does that mean their model was flawed? Well, their model changed the entire sport, so I wouldn't say it was flawed. Well, this brings up something that happened this week. Uh, I wouldn't say Tiger's Twitter was burning, but there was uh, there was a lot of heated discussions over our friends at the Tigers minor league report Chris Brown uh, wrote an article more or less just kind of opening the can of should you trade Casey Mize and <laughs> you know what could you get for him uh, is it better to do this because of basically everything we talked about how fickle pitchers can be and you know you know injuries happen and you know those kind of things and uh, a lot of people hated on that because Casey Mize being the face of the rebuild it is kind of untouchable. Like in a lot of like fans' minds, like if 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 Casey goes, then what will we have to hold on to? You know, and and he he's been well chronicled his entire professional career. Uh, I still remember where I was when he. You know, pitched that no hitter in his double A debut, and you know that start he had against Houston this year, and you know he kind of he he's a guy that you want to be the face of your franchise. So that it, a lot of Tigers fans were kind of threatened by that idea, and, but at the same time, when you are a losing team, which they have been for many years now, uh, all options ought to be on the table. I'm a firm believer in that. Uh, the general notion of trading Casey Mize, the principle of it, where does that kind of fall? So I'll, I'll say where I, I'm against it because I sort of want homegrown talents to come in and you can kind of mold them in whatever fashion you want. And this is especially the case with Hinch and Federer in tow. 
just imagine if he if they were until like two years prior, one year prior, you know, whatever. They didn't happen that way. But I'm I'm very much in favor of assets that I do believe to be on the rise. And so I don't typically want to trade assets that I believe are on the rise uh, because you're probably not going to get 100 cents on the dollar, typically. And especially if once prospects become involved, then you're then, then it's all a crapshoot, right? We all know that. Uh, just look at you know the return for the Verlander trade. So... And the JD Martinez trade, but anyway, we're, we're... Oh, hard hard trades, Kieran. Tough tough circumstances. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so so I am against that, but I do believe there's validity in the argument. Uh, here I go again, just like trying to be fair. <laughs> uh, as another fair-minded fella, where do you kind of land on the notion of you know being open to looking at like you know like a like Tra- trading Casey Mize. I mean, that, you know, it. it's the first time it's ever been really brought up. Yeah, I, again, you got to be open to anything. If you want to say, hey, I want Juan Soto for Casey Mize, I might say, yeah, uh, okay. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm not going to trade Casey Mize for a package of three okay prospects. I think the way you phrased it is pretty good. Unless you are very sure you're getting 100 cents on the dollar. I do not think you should trade a young starting pitcher on the rise. So here I am kind of contradicting myself saying, I don't love building around young pitching, but when you have a guy who's already in the majors and has had a sub four ERA for a full season in the majors and is only going to get better in theory, as long as he stays healthy, um, that is a valuable asset. It's, it's, it's such a valuable asset that you probably shouldn't move it unless you know you were getting something good. To defend the pick of of Mize in that draft, uh, a few writers were talking with the Tigers executive once this season. Um, I think it was like Jared Kelnick's second day in the big leagues before he had kind of flopped and had to go back down. And he said, would you trade Mize for Kelnick right now? Everyone looked around and was kind of like, no. <laughs> Even that was when like Kelnick was, you know, he was, he was a big deal. And, but it was like, well, we're not really sure about him yet so no i wouldn't trade casey mize for anyone in that draft class uh straight up and so i i don't know like that's how that's how i sit on i think mize is a heck of an asset i think there might come a day where the tigers have to part with a starting pitcher and the idea is like oh just trade fiedo well fiedo is not going to get you much in return no no could there be a day where where this uh where this is necessary maybe I don't think we're there yet. I think the cost control is, is a thing too. I mean, this guy's under team control. Him, Scooble, and Manning are going to be cheap for the next five years, and that gives you flexibility to build around them and to acquire other pieces. Whereas if you trade a guy, then you're looking at having to allocate uh, probably a pretty big paycheck back into your rotation. Also, if you're going to trade Casey you really better be sure about Jackson Job. <laughs> uh, that too, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so you wrote an article uh, this week kind of dissecting the, the Tigers pitching, uh, the state of the pitching, um, and where they're at now. You kind of you did a really good job, I thought, of sort of explaining the numbers, giving the numbers, explaining the numbers. Uh, basically, every young pitcher – has a lot to go into the lab this this uh, this off season, and I'm and I'm sure Fetter's got a great plan for him. Uh, but the Casey Mice thing, you've watched him for a whole season. You watched him in the pandemic shortened season once he got called up in spring training as well over the past couple years. Would you say you have a firm grasp of Mize's ceiling? I think it's beginning to come into focus. I think there. I think probably next year will give us a better idea. Does he get the splitter there? How consistent does his fastball command really become? I think there's a world in which Casey Mize is more of a strikeout pitcher and the splitter is working, and maybe he is a real ace. I, I think kind of the scouting opinion since he was drafted that he's not maybe a Hall of Famer, but he can be a one for the Tigers or maybe a two on another team. 
I think that's that still probably makes the most sense. But I think there's another another level this guy can get to, and we can't really judge until he has a little more time to to attempt um, to get there. The interesting thing I think with Mize in this article, the first comment from a reader on my article, I inserted the uh, shout out to the readers, the shout, the, out, to the shout out to the readers, subscribers, the charts like the Statcast numbers for both Mize and Lily Peralta. They're in different parts of the article, and some one commenter said, "Hey." You, you uh, put the same chart for both Mize and Peralta. And that was oh. not true. They are different charts. They look very similar. Okay, both guys rank very low in uh, kind of the underlying metrics. And so that's where the metrics get interesting. I've had people in the Tigers organization say, yeah, Peralta, maybe we'd bring him back on the cheap, but he seems like such a candidate for regression. But no one says that with Casey Mize. Everyone says, well, Mize is only going to get better. Well, their underlying metrics are about the same, but I can tell you, I've watched both pitchers. Let's make a case for the good old-fashioned eye test. I think Casey Mize is a way better pitcher than Willie Peralta and will probably be a better pitcher next year than Willie Peralta. I think the age thing uh, factors into, like, Mize is still improving his game, where Peralta kind of is what he is at this point. But it's kind of strange to see how how low Mize ranks. You can go check out the article if you want to look at the, uh, the hard numbers there. Well, uh, is what he is with Peralta, but uh, also shocking that he is what he is because no one you talk about this no is one true, shocked. yeah, yeah. No one, no one. Shout saw out that Willie comment. Peralta, not trying to, yeah. not trying to degrade the guy. This was a very good year for the Tigers, but it, if we were, if we were to do a list of uh, of godsends to the Tigers this year, like he would be high up on it because like without him with all the injuries to pitchers this year and then you know eventually innings limits for other guys without him i mean god i mean how hard would it have been to try to configure a pitching rotation you the know second half of that season could have been brutal and largely in thanks to willie peralta it wasn't too bad so maybe you already answered the question but was there anything in your research that uh, numbers-wise or indications-wise, recollection-wise, whatever, that kind of surprised you a little bit, uh, that you kind of thought, oh, okay, I didn't realize it was quite this good, or I didn't realize it was quite this bad, or um, was there anything that kind of stood out as we teased the article for people who aren't subscribers yet to The Athletic that uh, should be, because it's worth every penny. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, I think Scooble, you know, we, we talked at the end of the year about Scooble's home runs and he gave up what, you know, 35 home runs, the third highest total in the majors, 22 of those were against his fastball. Uh, I think the eye test tells me the guy just threw too many fastballs down the middle and he's a fastball heavy pitcher. He's only, he's always going to give up some homers, but I wouldn't looked at the counts. He gave up eight home runs when he was ahead in the count and 27 when he was either behind or even in the count. He actually gave up the most home runs in an even count. But I think that the point stood out that Scooble is a different pitcher when he's getting ahead. Uh, we've seen Scooble have some really dominant outings. Those tended to be the ones where the fastball was in the strike zone and he was getting ahead and then he could get people to chase his off-speed stuff. I think just looking at that number um, put that back into focus. When he's pitching behind, I think he tries to spot that fastball a little bit, and boom, it's leaving the yard. If the Tigers, I mean, think of the progress Gregory Soto made just getting ahead in the count. If Tarek Skubal can replicate that to some degree, you know, his first first pitch strike percentage actually already increased a lot from 2020. But if he can take another jump and just getting in the strike zone. Getting in the counts he wants to be in, I think Scooble can really be a force. One of the things, so reading that article, I got really excited about the, for lack of a better term, prospects of these guys improving in year two under Fetter because um, I believe, and I, I'm specifically talking here about you know my Scooble and Manning. Each one of them had a pitch that they more or less had to abandon in order to just kind of get by like to just like it we don't we don't really have room for experimentation right now 
let's just kind of get with what we got and we'll try to expand going forward and uh in in casey mize's case it wasn't necessarily like an experiment pitch it was more of a, a pitch that we thought would be his go-to that he just couldn't kind of figure out so they kind of deviate, uh, deviated away from it um i'm really looking forward to those guys kind of honing in on that i think that that will probably be our biggest tell next season is whether you know whether it's a slider whether it's um whether it's reestablishing the split um that's going to be our biggest tell as to whether you know where their trajectory is at is that fair to say yeah i mean absolutely that's uh, i think that's kind of the gist of the article and you know, asking pitchers to change their arsenals or still add to their arsenals when you're at the major league level is easier said than done. But these guys are still young. Chris Fetter's already proven what he can do in the course of one season. Imagine a full off season after knowing the guys, working with the guys. I think there's there's all the reason to believe they can uh, they can make pretty good progress, and I do think that's encouraging. In a way, all these guys have some flaws in their games that they really need to target. On the other hand, okay, if they target that, it seems like all of them are just kind of just one step away from really uh, just being very good major league pitchers. And to kind of harken back to the playoff discussion we were just having, I think sometimes when you more or less exclusively watch one team or you, I mean, not exclusively, if you really narrow in on one team and that in the expense of that is you're not watching like as many just general baseball games, this is go for any sport. Uh, the flaws of the team you're watching, and I'm talking about fans, I'm not talking about you, Cody. The flaws of the team that, that you're watching get exasperated. And you kind of forget that like this happens with like every team. You, you know what I mean? So, like, there are tons of young pitchers on teams with better records than the Tigers who are trying to figure out these exact same things, right? So, like, this is not, like, a Tigers problem that these young pitchers aren't, like, all the way there yet. You know, like, uh, sometimes people just kind of, again, step back. We, we love the term macro here. Like, step back, macro. If you're watching the baseball playoffs, you're like, man, I couldn't imagine if if that's who Alavea had uh, slotted to trot out there in a pivotal game three when the series is tied at one, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? Like, every team's got their their strengths and their weaknesses, you know? Uh, in the article, you also talked about free agency. We'll kind of wrap up here a little bit. Um, is there a name that you just like better than others? Not Maybe not even just specifically for the Tigers, but, you, you know, we, we can s narrow it there. Is there a guy that you think, you know what, you can probably get him later than, like, Scherzer's going to sign, later than Kershaw's going to sign, and you're going to be happy with the signing uh, based on the value that you get. A guy, uh, The guy that comes to mind for me, a couple of them, um, I would really like Strowman and I, and I, I could, I could be happy with Robbie Ray. Uh, like those are kind of, I'm, those are the kind of the guys I'm looking for, looking to, as opposed to like, oh man, win a homecoming with Verlander or Scherzer be awesome. Or, mm -hmm. you know, get Clayton Kershaw on, you know, his, the tail end of, you know, get another hall of famer on the tail end. You know, I'm sort of looking at those kind of guys, uh, is where, where do you kind of land on? The you know we know the Tigers is going to sign somebody. Where do you kind of land on the smart strategy? Well, real quick, I I do have to take this another direction, Kieran, because fans, readers, they want to know like what about Verlander? Could there be a Verlander reunion? I just feel it necessary to point out that AJ Hinch has not been on our podcast yet. We did do a podcast with one Ben Verlander. So uh, maybe if our one of our last names was Verlander, he would be a little more. Is that tampering too? To come we talked about podcast. tampering. Is that tampering? You no, know, I don't think it's tampering. <laughs> but I also he went on the podcast with Verlander's brother, um, and I noticed he gave a shout out to Marcus Simeon. He's sitting here talking about Otani winning the MVP, and uh, you know Vlad Guerrero also had a great year. And then he goes, you know, and Simeon too. And I was like. Ooh. Was that just in the off chance that, like, you thought Marcus Simeon's, like, 
chilling at his house in the off season. And he's ben like, Berlander's let's listen podcast. to Ben Verlander's podcast. That's an hour long. And he's going to think, Oh, AJ Hinch knows that I had a good year. I want to play for the Tigers now. Like what? <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't, I we're, we're, we're kidding here. I don't think there's any actual tampering going on, but I found both those things funny. And look, I know we're not Fox sports. I know our last name is not Verlander. I'm a little hurt that you went on that podcast where they just asked like, so is this team like similar to rebuilding the Astros and the questions that we've been asking since spring training and like rehash all that. I mean, my feelings are a little bit hurt over it. Still shout um, out Ben Verlander for carving a role. Shout out Ben Verlander. No, this is true. This is true. Uh, he's doing very well in the media biz. Back to uh, pitching. I don't think the Tigers should sign Justin Verlander. The Astros are going to offer him a qualifying offer of $18.4 million. Uh, if I were JV, I might just accept that. Now, he might want a multi-year deal. I don't think that fits the Tigers' needs this offseason. Um, he's thirty-nine. He's going to be 39 in February. He's coming off Tommy John. He's going to be expensive. I just don't think it makes sense as fun as it would be. And I think you can get an equally, if not better, pitcher uh, for next year a little bit cheaper. I think Robbie Ray probably is the best guy who's not as big of a name on the market. But he's probably going to be looking to cash in on what just might be a Cy Young year. I think he could even fall a little bit outside the Tigers' price range. Uh, I also did a story this week really breaking down the Tigers' payroll and where they stand and what decisions they have to make this offseason. If anyone wants to check that out. I don't know for sure, but the uh, guesstimate, I think there's no reason the Tigers shouldn't have at least $50 million to play with. If you allocate $30 million to a shortstop, suddenly that budget gets kind of tight. But maybe they don't. Maybe, you know, we'll see once we know a little everything more how that plays out. Cody. But, uh, yeah, I like I like uh, more Eduardo Rodriguez or Anthony Disclafani. Um, if he can't get a Robbie Ray, I think these are solid, reliable guys who aren't going to command $20 million, But maybe you can get... 12 13 14 million it kind of in that ballpark but are very good pitchers who have room to get better who would probably benefit from working with chris fetter i think if you can bring in one of those guys even if it's not as sexy even if it's not as big of a name i think that'd be a pretty positive signing for the tigers yeah i agree um and we'll kind of wrap it up there uh next week our podcast we'll have a fun little game it's a little teaser here fun little game examining the 40-man roster for the tigers uh we'll still welcome any vegas tips um as my my bachelor party is is coming up halloween weekend uh cody and i i don't think we received any uh, last week. i didn't receive I didn't any least. so my feelings continue to be hurt, we, guys. We could, we could use some tips. It's our first time, you know. We'll we'll take all the uh, useful information. Uh, looking forward to a, uh, a a fun weekend in Vegas, and also, you know, Michigan, Michigan State for all you uh, in-state school guys. Uh, big game, biggest game of the weekend. My father's Michigan State grad, so I'll be you know cheering on the green and white. But uh, I got respect for Harbaugh and Michigan, so uh, it'll be a fun weekend for everybody. And so, yeah, if you got any tips, you know, bring us, bring them our way and uh, continue to read Cody's articles. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, uh, this is still a great time. He's still churning out lots of content that uh, you're going to want to have more or less bookmarked as the offseason progresses because uh, he's broken down essentially how and why the Tigers are going to make the moves that they will make this off season. So got a fun game next week. Uh, please can, you know, bring us some, uh, some Vegas tips. And so uh, we appreciate everybody listening, following us on Twitter. He's at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at turn corner pod. We are on Apple and Spotify. If you could subscribe, you could rate, you could review us five stars. That'd be great. We like to see that people appreciate our work as imperfect as it may be at times because uh, we have a lot of fun here. So, Cody, got anything to add before we wrap up? No, I think you covered it all. All right. So, for Cody – Sorry, I was, I've really been trying to work in, like, more pop culture references and stuff. I didn't do any this week. We got way too in the weeds talking about nerdy baseball things. So, uh, 
hopefully next week will be a little more funny and entertaining. Really trying to bring some some pizzazz to the podcast. Yeah, here. that'll be our that'll be an off season uh, mantra. Is that we're going to do a lot more pop culture references, um, and I. I have a million of them. I mean, that's sort of what your intros are. A lot of them are pop culture references. <laughs> this is true. Uh, so we'll, we'll 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 go heavy on those moving forward. So for Cody Stave, Stavenhagen Verlander, I am Kieran Steckley Verlander. Thank you for listening. <laughs>